Greetings and welcome to Inside the Master's Studio, a behind-the-screens look into the art of GMing. Today I am joined by Kirk. Hi. I'd like to start at the very beginning. When did you first get into role-playing? Well, uh, I had some interest in it as a uh, kid and then through high school, but never really got a chance to actually play tabletop games. More of my experience came from playing... um, online uh, text-based RPGs, MUDs, MUSHs, and such. You know, real-time typing at each other, basically, in role plays. And I kept that interest for uh, many years, and didn't really actually get to play tabletop games until just about three and a half years ago in 2013. Did the online games have a rule set and dice component to them, or was it strictly text? They had... uh, Combat systems coded into the uh, games that basically rolled dice for you. Institute level and weapon damage and all that kind of stuff. Those were the very basic that, I guess, were very popular. Um, But the ones that I really enjoyed the most were much more roleplay heavy. Where it was a sign of how good of a player you were was not so much, you know, that you killed all the things and had the best weapons, but how fast you could type and uh, whether you could make interesting stories happen on the screen. And what was the first tabletop RPG you played? Toss-up between either uh, Pathfinder or a Savage Worlds game called Necessary Evil. Yes. Did you learn anything from the GMs of those games that you carried on to your own? Oh, yes. I think <laughs> I think the first thing I learned from both of those games is the saying, basically, that no encounter survives uh, first contact with players. Like, you can just watch it on any GM's face, that uh, whatever they were thinking the players were going to do, whatever they were planning for happening in that session, the more intricate the plans, the more quickly it seems to go off the rails players always surprise you. So that was something that I learned very quickly. Uh, Another thing that sticks with me is for the uh, Necessary Evil game, the GM had a session tradition of starting every session with music to get the table into the mood. Because we were playing supervillains, it was about uh, something about being evil or taking over the world or whatever. Darkly funny songs, but uh, still... Something that really uh, sets the table and uh, gets everybody on the same page has been something that I try to do in all of my games. What was your Savage Worlds character? He was actually a repeat of an online game character I had that was basically a ninja who, you know, used living shadows to teleport and sneak around and backstab things. It was not my most creative character, but uh, for the setting, I thought he was appropriate. So you learned a positive thing to help with the immersion. Did you have anything that the GMs did that you learned not to do? (laughs) Yes. I think the real lesson, at least for the Pathfinder game, was trying to figure out who's who's interested in what at the table and what they want to see in the game. Something that I came across is, uh, you know, not everybody 
was on the same page with as to how the adventure was going and what we what kind of characters we were making and you know how this was all going to fit together mostly because this was a pretty uh new group you know we'd all found each other online and we're like we want to play games and so somebody volunteered to gm and off we went so i learned that there's got to be a lot of give and take between players and the players in the gm as to how the game is going to go one of the things that I learned about Pathfinder, the system, is that it's very... Well, if you're familiar with the system, you can make optimally combat-balanced or skill-check-balanced or whatever characters. And if you're not, you can make horrible monstrosities that sound cool on paper and don't play very well at the table. Has this led to you having more of a hand in character creation? Yes, and like I, I try to watch out for that in the games that I GM, but also I found that the games I enjoy running are the games that don't have that problem to that degree. Um, so like my, I myself have never GM'd Pathfinder because while it's an interesting game and has a lot of flavor and choices and such, I don't really want to deal with the fact that I'd have to tell a player, you know, probably don't want to play this because it's not going to be optimal. Seeing as how I only came into, you know, the actual RPG books just three years ago, um, in my short time, I have quickly migrated from very crunch-heavy, rules-heavy games to much more story-gaming type of uh, systems. What games have you GM'd? I have GM'd um, in three different systems using the Powered by the Apocalypse world engine, Fate, Fate Core, and Fate Accelerated. And then uh, I've used several times the uh, Edge of the Empire uh, Star Wars game system, though not actually to play Star Wars. I've reskinned it twice to do a homebrew magical setting and a Cowboy Bebop-themed game. Do you have a favorite system among the three? I think my favorite system, just from an overall point of view of can I run this in this system, is Fate. Because you can run anything in Fate. It does not necessarily give you all the, I guess, crunch or granularity of uh, different rules and such, but you can, you know, make things up on the fly and roll for it and have a great old time at the table, so I've never had a problem with that. I really like, for Edge of the Empire, the uh, narrative dice system that they have, just that instead of numbers, you get symbols, and they cancel each other out, and you can end up with success that also generates threats, um, or failures that also generate, uh, what's the opposite of threat, advantages. So the story kind of tells itself, I mean, yes, generally, you know, the any dice system should be narrative, but it's just a very nice visual way of putting that together. One of the things I like about Apocalypse World and its uh, derivatives is just it's so pared down and easy. You pick a class, it gets you can customize it in this way, and you're just off and running. Several of the books I've read that use the Apocalypse World engine are just... Uh, Nicely themed, amazingly amazing to read books. So those have been my go-tos so far. With the Edge of the Empire reskins, 
Did you roll dice in front of the players? Yes. Yes, I did. Because I wanted them to be able to see what was going on um, and to understand and quickly grasp uh, how to read the dice. One of the things about that is, and they and they say this in the books, but in I've learned this from other games, is that generally when the dice say something got, has gone wrong or has gone exceptionally great, I like to turn it back on my players and say, so, you know, you succeeded at what you do, um, but you got a got some threat. What what happened? What went wrong? Or you've managed to overcome this in a spectacular fashion. Tell me how that looks to you. Because I can throw out things like bad guys show up even though you didn't mean them to, or you not only decapitated the bad guy, but you uh, found all his gold too or something. Generally, I think my players have in their heads a vision of what's going on, and I want them to run with that vision and tell me what's happening in the scene. Do you prefer systems where players are kept in the loop of what the GM is doing? Um, it depends. I know for Fate, because I run off the cuff and improvise a lot, I rarely, like my players, don't know what the NPCs or villains or whatever their stats are. So they see me rolling and, you know, they can see the pluses and minuses on the four fate dice, but they don't know what the bonuses that are stacked behind the screen are, mostly because I'm making them up on the fly. Uh, so <laughs> that's that involves a lot of fudging on my part to keep the scene going in a narratively satisfying manner. But I have had situations where I had a, a spectacularly overpowered NPC show up to help the group, and the NPC rolled four negatives three times in a row. And I was just like, okay, so apparently all the bluster and all the legends behind her aren't true, because she's apparently really bad at doing what she, you thought she could be able to do. Do you have a limit to which you're willing to fudge the rules? I don't think so, actually. The The main thing for me is that is everybody at the table having a good time? Or are we te making, you know, memories? Or is it memorable? I don't need the dice to get in the way of that when I'm running. Generally, I don't want the dice to get in the way of that when I'm a player either, but sometimes they do. But as a GM, I generally feel that, you know, something comes up uh, that is either mandated by the rules or mandated by the dice or uh, even from a player who's, I don't know, having a bad day or whatever and is just not with it at the table, it's easier just to rule and say, no, we're not having fun if it goes this way, so we're going to back this up and take it a different direction. Do you tend to save player characters more often than you should? From their own demise? <laughs> Not necessarily. I generally like to encourage there to be risk and danger. If the system or the setting gives me good ways to uh, mess with a character besides killing them, I will definitely do that. It's one of the things I loved about the Apocalypse World Engine game called The Sprawl, which is, you know, instead of killing the character, they can be captured by a corporation and then have, you know, a... Uh, retinal implant uh, 
cortex bomb planted in their uh, eye socket or whatever, and then they have to do what the corporation wants or else they get blown up. I mean, that's as bad as dying, but it's you still get to play with your character and maybe hope to get out from under that. But I have not really reached out to uh, amend fate when certain things happen, as long as, you know, it's not 20 minutes into the session and you fall down a hole and die. That just doesn't happen in my games. So when you are starting to GM a new game, do you normally start with the system you want to run or the player's you want at your table? Generally, system I want to run. Because for me to GM, I have to be, you know, excited, motivated, and invested in the game itself for me to want to run. So one of the ways that that works for me is to find the system and setting that uh, make me excited to bring it to the table. Then um, I go about collecting players who I think will hopefully mesh well with uh, what I'm planning. But yeah, gen- generally system first. Do you tend to play in person or mostly over the internet? In person. Um, I've run a couple games uh, with in-person friends who were in other states at the time. So I've run over Roll20 and uh, Google Chat. Those were okay. But uh, I really prefer to uh, have everybody at the table and be able to really not only interact with them, but also be able to pick up on, you know, facial cues. Or if somebody's not paying attention and playing on their phone, like, okay, so why is that player withdrawn from the scene kind of thing? Whereas I've noticed with online games, people can be playing solitaire or something on their computer. and. I'd never know. What was the impetus for you to create the Cowboy Bebop hack of Edge of the Empire? Um, <laughs> I wanted to run another game in the Edge of the Empire. Um, I like Star Wars, but I'm not the huge Star Wars fan that some of my friends are. So I leave running Star Wars themed games to them. So I was looking for something to, uh, you know, put in that system that would already interface with all of the setting mechanics that are baked into Edge of the Empire. And one of my friends said, you know, I've really wanted to be in a Cowboy Bebop game. I got a little excited about that, but what made me really excited about that is that I was going to put them in a Cowboy Bebop game that was going to slowly turn into a kind of uh, futuristic technoir thriller (laughs) they were all going to be they were going to realize that they weren't the original characters that they had made uh, that they were perhaps clones or some other thing and uh, really screw with their expectations of the setting Um, unfortunately that game did not last long enough for all of those reels to happen but uh, we did have fun you know bounty hunting in space and just generally being awesome about how long did it last? Five sessions, I think. For my games, uh, you know, I've all, I <laughs> I started playing, um, and then by about six months into playing, my friends were pressuring me to run a game, um, which was the first Edge of the Empire reskin. I think that first game ran maybe eight sessions, and the others, I know I've uh, run 
yeah, two that went about four to five sessions, and the other three went about eight to ten. And unfortunately, things just happened where, you know, people were unavailable and it was just like, okay, well, let's put the game on hold or, you know, let's get to a satisfying conclusion because I always appreciate it when, um, a game actually has, uh, at least, uh, you know, a season ending break or whatever to really put a capstone on it. So I try to shoot for that. Yeah. The Cowboy Bebop game did not really get to go too many places, but they did get to finish their big first overall mission and trying to find uh, the clues to what, you know, deeper mysteries were going on. What's the longest running game you've GM'd? GM'd would be um, The Returned, which was a Fate Accelerated game set in a uh, kind of magic uh, world-hopping setting. That went, I want to say, yeah, 10 sessions. Um, I think we did that. Yeah, we did that weekly. So 10 weeks, which is, you know, I've had games that I've played in that have gone for two and a half years. Um, and I've had other games that, you know, I, I think the the cutoff for most games that I've been in is if it survives through the third session, you're probably going to have a longer run. Otherwise, by third session, you're usually out of that first mission, and people have decided this is not for them. Have you started tailoring your games to have a shorter lifespan because of this? Yes. What's something I've found in my game is that because they've had uh, shorter lifespans, that I do want to hit that milestone of, you know, first story arc, first season. Um and hopefully leave my players wanting more later down the line or to continue. But I want to have a full told story um, so that people can walk away and say, no, my character, you know, did this, this, and this, and ended here when they're, you know, telling war stories at gamers meet up or whatever, rather than just say, well, I had this cool character and nothing really happened with it. What's your writing process like now? What's my writing process like now? Uh, hmm. That's a hard one to answer. I have, the more I've gamed, the more I've put together very broad outlines for things I want to see happen and who could be involved and stuff like that. Um, one, I, I've read a lot about planning for GMing. I've, you know, when they first started wanting me to GM, I started reading books and such on, uh, advice on how to do that, and I realized I was not a very good note card taker or, you know, a person who writes down everything they have about the setting. And I think that's almost worked to my advantage because at the table, I say something and my players hair off after, you know, the things that I thought were inconsequential. So I like to be able to just come up with on the fly details or plot elements that uh, they can explore if they choose to, then write those notes to myself and say, you know, expand on this later or figure out why this happened. Um, and then I will probably spend, you know, the next week trying to figure out why exactly any of this happened. <laughs> so with the shorter games and trying to reach a satisfying conclusion, do you feel that you need to 
guide the party a bit more than you would normally? No, one of the things I've learned from uh, one of my favorite GMs uh, who likes to run sandbox-style games is to keep things running in the background. If I have an overall arcing story of these people do not like the PCs and want to you know, destroy them or take something from them or whatever. It doesn't matter if the PCs do not get involved with that uh, or do not um, really engage with it. Those background elements will still be running, and eventually that'll come to the to a head. Now, do I like to throw large flashing neon signs that say, plot this way? <laughs> Sometimes, so that that final confrontation that I'm building to is not completely out of the blue. But uh, sometimes, you know, the final confrontation can come from, no, you've just, you know, been messing with mooks, here's the real bad guy, rather than, you know, a steady progression um, to, I guess, that crescendo at the end. I'm not sure it's always successful, but I generally feel that it's much simpler to get that kickoff at the end if if there's something in the background that's been running and it's been building and uh, the players had a choice whether to uh, deal with it or not. Care to name your favorite GM? Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, my favorite GM is uh, my roommate and he runs um, a, well, he ran the longest game I've been in, which is a two and a half year Dresden Files RPG campaign. Um, with a slightly modified setting. And we played Teenage Necromancers in a uh, warden-run magical high school. And that was about as nice as that game got. <laughs> um, it, it just... <laughs> it was terrible for the characters, but not for the players were amazing. But, uh, you know, terrible things happened in that game all over the place. I just loved both the character interactions and uh, my GM's willingness to let us do whatever we want. There were several plot lines that, um, for character reasons, uh, one or another character would sabotage so that we did not investigate them. Um, and actually, my character did that as well, <laughs> just so that for, for whatever reason, we didn't that character didn't want to interact with the villain and didn't want the group to interact with the villain and uh, tried to steer us away from that. So the villain kind of uh, switched gears and still ended up clashing with us, but on a completely different level than uh, was originally intended. Are you currently listening to any actual play podcasts? I am not. I've been looking for some um, lately. Friends have introduced me to a few, and uh, they seem like pretty great stuff, um, but I have not been listening to very many podcasts lately the ones your friends have introduced you to do they get you back into the gm mode yes one of the things i like about them is that my current gaming group is you know i'm very familiar with a lot of people in the group and their styles and what they like to run and what they like to see so um watching or listening to another group play really allows me both as a player and a care as a player and a GM to really ride into that mode of like, okay, what's going on here and 
what do I like to see and what do these players like to see and um, you know what what can I steal from them basically um, to make my games better and that's always nice. Do you have any subject matter that is off limits in your games? Depends on the players. Some for me. Um, I know, you know, like the Teenage Necromancer game went in some pretty dark places, and sometimes people were up for that, and sometimes people weren't. Personally, I like to have a little more fun and silliness at the table than, you know, watching other players cry at the table. (laughs) I mean, it's very emotional uh, drama building and also cathartic uh, stuff that can happen, but uh, my games generally don't edge that way. I do know for some players that basically anything involving um, physical intimacy, sex, uh, is they've had bad experiences with that in role-playing games in the past and don't really want to see that repeated. And so I always make sure when they're at the table to respect those boundaries and anything else. But uh, if I have an idea and I think it's going to be controversial or perhaps triggering or something like that, I always make sure to run it by people as a check-in to see if uh, this is going the way people are feeling it's comfortable with. Have you ever had a situation where your players said they were up for it, but then you felt you had to steer away from it just based off their reactions? Trying to think, is there anything that came up in one of my games? Or a game that you participated in, it sounded like the Dresden one got pretty emotional. Yes, there have been, and several other games as well, but... um, Same GM? Different GMs, but same kind of really involved drama kind of style, what they were going for. So, yeah, not in my games, I don't think. But we've had moments where it was uh, apparent that, like, either we needed to immediately retcon something, because, uh... Oh, actually, I have I have a really good example of this. Sorry. My friend ran a Pokemon-themed campaign. Um, and at the time, I didn't really know much about Pokemon because I hadn't played it in a billion years. What system did they use? It's called Pokemon Tabletop United. It's a, a fan-developed system, and it's got its own uh, web page and forums and all that. And so he got it from there. D20-based system. A lot of bookkeeping, but still a lot of fun. Yeah, a couple times in his first Pokemon campaign... Things got too dark for, you know, what we were all at the table envisioning Pokemon. Um, one of the characters, we were taking our Pokemon and assaulting a uh, evil base. The GM described it as, you know, lasers and fortifications and all that. And one of my friends just went, wait a minute, this makes us child soldiers. I'm not cool with this. <laughs> Um, and we had to have a discussion of, you know, okay, so is, <laughs> if we're going to have lasers and fortifications, is this, you know, this is not real world stuff. This is more like G.I. Joe attacking Cobra and nobody really gets hurt, right? That kind of thing. And then uh, we had a very dramatic ro- moment with my character, who was actually not a trainer, but a, a intelligent psychic Pokemon, who uh, faced one of the 
uh, villains and uh, killed them for what the villain had meant to my character that made the most sense. But at the time, everybody was like, no, that, that kind of went to, you know, not what we're feeling for this game. So we retconned that, you know, they were just defeated and they went to jail. And I felt perfectly fine with that because I wanted everybody at the table to be having as much fun as I was. Um, you know, sometimes players and sometimes GMs can get into a mood where they really want to see the drama happen at the table and really, you know, embody their character. And sometimes that does not work for everybody at the table. And I'm really a proponent of making sure everybody's still having a good time. Have you ever had any experience using the X card in one of your games? Yes. Recently, I moved uh, to the Pacific Northwest, and there's a group of gamers up here who um, run basically one-shot story games. And these story games can be very emotionally intense, especially because you're not playing a long-form character. So your character arc, you know, which could end in death or some other tragedy, is going to happen within four hours. So um, there are, you know, pushes to be dramatic at the table, and uh, sometimes uh, they actually do here a support flower, which has red, yellow, and green, and so you can signal green if you're um, having a good time or like where this is going, yellow if you think you're approaching, like even if you you yourself are about to, are doing something that you're not so sure of, but also if the, another player is making you slightly uncomfortable, maybe back off of that. And then red is, you know, immediate stop. Either we change what's going on or, you know, we back off completely. That has been a great value to those kind of games um, where you're heavily invested in something that's going to perhaps be more dramatic than you're ready for. Has the experience with these shorter games made you want to GM them instead of multiple session games? I wouldn't say instead, but in addition to, yes. Um, I've been looking at, uh, I've gone to a uh, group session of, you know, how to uh, GM these games, and uh, also been collecting uh, playbooks and such for uh, the different games. Uh, some of them are very easy and silly, and some of them are very dramatic and tense. And, uh, no, I'm very much looking forward to starting to, uh, run these occasionally. But, uh, I think my real desire lies with, you know, seeing much fuller, fuller character arcs and being able to, uh, have a steady group. That is, that's more of my emphasis. But, uh, the, the story games, both playing in them and, uh, hopefully running them is, um, a nice change of play, a nice change of pace. And a really nice way to meet more gamers in the area because it's just, you know, sit down, pick up, and play. Um, so you don't have to know everybody at the table beforehand. Do you ever play two-player RPGs, or do you prefer a group setting? Um, I have never tried a two-player RPG, um, so I'm only familiar personally with group settings. I think, um, especially with some story games and such, that there there is definitely a, uh, I guess, potential for great 
uh, fun and excitement in just doing a very focused two-player interaction, but I myself have never tried it. If somebody was going to start running a game today and it was their first game, what advice would you have for them? My first advice would be to be comfortable with the group you're about to run for. Um, If you don't know them at first, get to know them. Talk about what the game is going to be and what they want to see and uh, what kind of gamers and stuff they are or what kind of things that they prefer. That's generally what I see the biggest problem in groups I have been a part of is when somebody just sets out to run something and nobody really knows each other and doesn't really come to a consensus on what should be going on. That's probably the biggest hurdle at the beginning. The other thing I've noticed is uh, that as a new GM, the most important thing you can do is learn what you don't like to see at the table. Now, the way I did that was to play in other people's games and note the things about their GMing style or other people's play styles that I didn't like um, that were turning me off from the game and just, you know, continue to uh, try new games with new groups and figure that out. But we have this great resource called the Internet, which has podcasts and actual plays and uh, GMing advice and story advice. And these are great ways to uh, read up on other people's experiences or listen to them talk about it and find out what it is that isn't going to work for you. Because nothing kills a game faster than the GM being dissatisfied in what's going on at the table. If you're not interested, nobody else is going to be interested. So those are my two big pieces. Do you think there's a particular system that is best for introducing people into GMing? I guess it depends on what kind of setting you're going for, because, I mean, part of uh, picking up a system is being interested in the setting, generally. If it's fantasy-related, I think that you could not go far wrong with Dungeon World. Um, It provides a lot of the tropes that classic D&D, Pathfinder, and whatever have you, but still fulfills a lot of, you know, what people are going to assume is a part of a fantasy role-playing setting, without bogging you down in minutia of having to flip through rule books and finding out how things work. Especially in the kind of, I don't know if it's necessarily the golden age, but it's a its a pretty great time to be a gamer uh, with all these different concepts and designs coming out. That is one that really opens you up to the possibilities of what gaming could be. And then you can, you know, shift more towards story games or shift more towards mechanics-heavy games, but Dungeon World is a pretty good baseline to start from. Well, we are going to start wrapping up, but before we do, I'm going to ask you some questions from the Pivo questionnaire, pioneered by Bernal Pivo. What is your favorite word? Um, (laughs) my favorite word. Uh, you know, what I, I just like to say for fun is indubitably, um, it just, it's a little drum solo for your mouth. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) What is your least favorite word? My least favorite word. Um, hmm. 
Not sure what my least favorite word is. I think it would probably be something that something like drag. It's one of those that perfectly encapsulates the meaning, so it's like a good word to use, but all the uses of it are, you know, in a negative sense, and there's really nothing good about the word. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Creatively is to to explore basically new things, new uh, ways of thinking about old things, or just completely new imaginings that uh, get me going in a way that I can say, oh my god, this is new, and I am so excited to learn about it. What turns you off? Feeling like my choice is restricted, that I'm not actually present in whatever this creative endeavor is, uh, if it's at a table or, you know, whatever, that um, there's nothing for me, for me to hear to do except um, do what I'm told. What is your favorite curse word to hear from your players? Son of a bitch. Usually that is a curse word that uh, involves them learning something that they thought they already knew but really didn't. So really just a a surprise at the table, uh, followed by a loud outburst of, son of a bitch. It's just like, yeah, no, that's, that's what I like. What sound or noise do you love? Thwack. That is a... <laughs> it's just such a great sound, and, you know, it's just a encouraging something has happened. If, if there is that thwacking sound, then, uh, you know, things have changed somehow. What sound or noise do you hate? I, I, would, I would have to go with, uh, probably <laughs> to say it out loud, gloop. Just kind of that bubbly, kind of disgusting, dripping sound. What game system would you like to attempt? I think um, on my on the list of things that I want to uh, get to the table, well, also purchase is uh, I think it's called Blades in the Dark. Um, it's a very, I guess, fantasy steampunkish but caper heist kind of game, um, and it has some really really interesting systems that I've read about and really want to see how they run. Have you been listening to Friends at the Table? I have just looked into that uh, just this past week, um, and I'm looking forward to uh, uh, hearing their uh, actual plays using Blades in the Dark. What game system would you not like to attempt? <laughs> Almost any any edition pre-fourth of D&D. I have no time for um, any of that. And even D&D 4th, I, I own a copy of uh, the 4th edition Gamma World and would like to run that at some point, but uh, that's about it for, um, I guess, you know, games that really, really slap on the rules or in 4th edition needs, you know, to have miniatures and maps and all that kind of stuff. There's only so much preparation I want to take to the table, and that's not usually part of my bag. When your games conclude, what do you like to hear from your players? 
the number one thing is, so when are we running next? Or, you know, when's the next story arc going to happen? Or, I mean, that's, that's the most highest compliment to me as a GM is, you know, people wanting more of uh, that game and my running of it. The other thing that really I love is to hear other people tell basically gaming war stories about what happened in one of my games or what happened with one of their characters in my games or really just that they had so much fun that they need to tell somebody about else about how much fun they had. That just sends me over the moon. Do you have any games brewing in your head right now? Um, <laughs> I am working with a friend uh, on a design for a system, actually, um, that is uh, going to hopefully model the ridiculousness of the dance battle genre of movies. That is something that's been on my mind for a while. I love those stupid movies and uh, really want to be able to have a game where the combat and the, the big conceit of everything is that if you want to get ahead in life, you have to win dance battles. I'm certainly looking forward to hearing about the progress of this project. <laughs> I'll keep you in the loop. Thank you for joining us today at the Master's Studio. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. I've been your host of Moon Rules, and remember, be a fan of the players, their characters, the system, and the setting. The better you're able to do this, the more memorable the game experience will be.